0: All right, take your Bibles in, turn to the book of John chapter 20. John chapter 20, today we're going to be reading, uh, starting in verse number 24, and we are in our second week of looking at the encounters of Jesus with his disciples after the resurrection. Uh, the resurrection is still going on, amen? About three of you believe it? Maybe during the invitation, all of you will come to believe it, all right? The resurrection is still a reality, and Jesus is encountering his disciples, and I pray that he will encounter us this morning. Um, last week, we talked about Mary Magdalene and disappointment, and today we're going to talk about Thomas and doubt, and we're going to finish up this next week. But let's begin reading in verse number 24. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. This is the word of the Lord for his people. And if you are glad, say amen. Amen. Well, if you have ever doubted, If you've ever had doubts in your life, or if you have ever had questions about the faith, about the Word of God, well, you're in good company. Um, If you read through the Word of God, you will see that there were several, many people who had doubts, people who had questions, people like Job. If you ever read through the book of Job, you will see that comes out really clearly, profoundly. Abraham and Sarah, remember when the Lord told them they were going to have a son? What did they do? They laughed. That's a form of doubt. (laughs) They were just laughing at the Lord. Uh, Moses had doubts. Gideon had doubts. Um, Elijah had doubts. And if you read through the Psalms, you will see that the Psalmist, um, David and the other psalmists, have doubts. And they had questions about their faith. God, why am I in this situation? God, where are you? Have you abandoned me? And then you go over to Matthew chapter 11 and verse 2, and you see John the Baptist had doubts. And so if you have ever had doubts or if you have ever had questions about the faith, well, then you are in good company. And I would say, I dare to say that, that most of us, all of us have had doubts in our life. We've had questions about the Word of God, about certain parts of the Word of God. Um, it comes from various reasons. It comes from circumstances. Sometimes it can come from emotions. Um, but doubt is very personal. Um, I may have doubts that you don't have doubts. I mean, that you don't have. Um, I'm, I may have certain things that, that trigger questions that make me uh, susceptible to doubt and questions. Um, and you may not have a problem with it. And so we've all had doubts. There's people in the Bible, even John the Baptist had doubts. But we must not be scared of our doubts. Well, you know, as God's people, we must not try to cover up our doubts. Don't ever be scared of them. But we need to allow our doubts and our questions to strengthen our faith and strengthen our relationship with the Lord. And not only that, but this morning, let's start with a little bit of humility. You know, let's don't be so hard on people who have doubts. Let's don't be so hard on people um, who have Questions. I remember in seminary, you know, you get into a lot of weird conversations in seminary. We were eating lunch in the commons area um, in, in my seminary, and we were talking about doubts and some of the questions that we had about the Bible, and one guy spoke up, and it was almost kind of in a judgmental tone, because ever since I was saved, I have never questioned the Bible. I have never had a doubt. I have never had one doubt. Yeah, that's what I said. Wow. And, 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 and I just want to say, well, good for you, but I have and, and I have had questions and I still have some questions. And so let's begin with humility. Let's don't be so hard on Thomas. Let's don't be so hard on Job and John the Baptist. So today we're going to look at John the Baptist. We're going to look at his doubt or what we call doubting Thomas. And we're going to see what this says to us about doubt, unbelief, and just honest, sincere questions of the faith. Um, Last night, I was thinking to myself, there is no way. I had doubts about my sermon last night. It happens every Saturday. I always have doubts about my sermon. Um, And and I thought, I can't can't do justice with this. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to chop my sermon in half. And today I'm going to preach 55 minutes, and next week I'll preach 60 minutes. Okay, got your attention. Let's talk, let's look at Thomas the unbeliever let's reread verse 24 and 25 again now Thomas one of the twelve called the twin was not with the disciples when Jesus came so the other disciples told him we have seen the Lord but look at Thomas's response Uh, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side I will never believe well, the first thing that we see here is that, that Thomas was not with the other disciples whenever they saw the resurrected Lord. So he didn't see the same thing that they saw. And there's been a lot of speculation about why Thomas was not with the other disciples. But, but folks, really, we, we just don't know why he wasn't there. I mean, this was a heavy time. This was a, a very excruciating time. And we need to remember that the disciples put all of their investment in the person of Christ as the Messiah. And now they believe, Thomas believed he was dead. His body was probably stolen. And man, his whole world has just collapsed down on top of him. And so let's don't be so Hard on Thomas, but let's look at the providence of God. We're gonna talk about this more next week. Look at the providence of God. Thomas's absence sets up the greatest, one of the greatest confessions of Jesus Christ as Lord and God in the entire gospels. And so verse 24 eventually leads to verse 28, where we have this great, great confession of Jesus Christ. So right out of the gate, let's not be so hard on Thomas, but in the same breath, we also need to take an honest look at what Thomas was really thinking. What he's really, really thinking. You know, I, I started reading this passage several weeks ago and and t- trying to get my mind, you know, to the passage. And in the whole time, I was thinking, doubting Thomas, doubting Thomas, doubting Thomas, doubting Thomas, but what Thomas is doing here is not doubting. What Thomas is doing here is unbelieving. And so there is a difference here between Thomas doubting and Thomas unbelieving. Look at the text. Look at verse 25. Look at what he says. They come to him and they tell Thomas, we have seen the Lord. And what is Thomas's response? Well, take me to him. It's not what he says. Show me more. No, that's not what he says. He doesn't go Missouri on him. Show me. No, he he doesn't do that. What is Thomas's response? Unless. That's the first word of the skeptic. Unless. Unless. This, 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 I will not believe. And in the ESV, it says what? I will never believe. And so when we call Thomas the doubter, we're really not being accurate. Really, Thomas at this point is an unbeliever. And there is a big difference between doubt, someone who doubts, and someone who is an unbeliever. And so what I like to do is just, is just, you know, move to the side for a minute. And let me just try to delineate and to define unbelief, doubt, and sincere questions about the faith and about the Word of God. First of all, unbelief is just that. It's unbelief. If you look up the word unbelief in, in the dictionary, I looked it up last night uh, online, it says uh, basically it's an unwillingness to believe. It's an abandonment of faith. It's letting go of trust. It's withholding belief from something. Now, some of y'all, I know some of y'all, and y'all probably say to yourself, I don't believe that Elvis died on August the 16th, 1977. And some of y'all believe that he's in the Caribbean with Jimmy Hoffa uh, running a a snow cone stand. I know some of y'all believe that. Some of y'all are just that wacky, man. But what you're saying is, I do not believe, I do not trust that Elvis Presley died on August the 16th, 1977. Unbelief is unbelief. And for some odd reason, some of y'all don't believe in Bigfoot. I don't understand why. Or the Loch Ness Monster. And what you're saying is, I have abandoned my faith that Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster are real creatures. It's just not believing. And that's a lot different than doubt. Let me just kind of give you some quick bullet points about doubt. All right? Some quick bullet points. This is going to be, you know, very smooth or polished, but let me just give them to you. Doubt, obviously, is not the same thing as unbelief. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. You know, we can can maintain our faith and trust in God and, and still have doubt. We can still have serious, serious doubt and questions and still maintain our trust in God. But what we've done in the church is we have done a great disservice to people because we have confused doubt with unbelief, unbelief with doubt, and we haven't tried to separate the two. And that's led to a lot of personal and spiritual discouragement in people's lives. And so doubt... Is different from unbelief. Doubt is not the absence of faith. Get that in your mind. Unbelief is the absence of trust in faith. And there are two sides to doubt. And I really need you to hang with me really, really closely on this one. Because, you know, I can easily confuse you on this. But, but I think you're going to get it. No doubt in my mind you're going to get this, all right? There are two types of doubt in my mind. There is the what-if doubt. And then there is... The doubt that seeks understanding and seeks understanding. It just doesn't sit in the what if. You've had what ifs and I've had what ifs. And and there's nothing wrong with having what ifs as long as you don't stay in the what ifs. What if the Bible is not reliable? What if Jesus Christ did not raise from the grave? That is a what if. And if we just hang right there in the what and we never leave the what ifs, we're going to be very discouraged. I mean, not only that, but we will become fearful. Uh, Pastor Clay is going to sing a song at the end of the service about fear. I'm no longer a slave to fear. But if we keep sitting in the what-ifs, we'll become fearful. We'll become very, very discouraged. And then there is a second type of doubt, and that is a what-if that seeks understanding. It's a what if that turns into what is. What is God doing here? What is God trying to teach me? What does the Bible say about this? You know, How does the Bible interpret this part of the Word of God? Do you see where I'm coming from? If we just sit there, what if? Man, that does lead to fear. It leads to almost sometimes despair. But the second type of doubt is, what is God doing here? What is He saying in His Word? What is He trying to teach me? And then, that turns in your doubt, what if, to a sincere, spiritual, biblical question. Let me give you for instance. Um, A lot of people have some concern that the Apostle Paul in Ephesians and Romans teaches that the just shall live by faith... We are saved by grace through faith, right? We've heard that all of our lives, if we've been in church any amount of time. But then in the book of James, you know, James says that faith without works is what? It's dead. It's dead. Dead, dead, dead. And so you, you think to yourself, well, are we saved by works or are we saved by grace through faith? You know, which one is it? You know, what if there is a contradiction between James And Paul, and if we don't do any investigation, if we don't study the Word of God, and we just sit in that, we don't do anything about it, it's going to get a little bit discouraging. It's going to be confusing. But if you read the Word of God, you see that Paul and James are saying the same thing, but coming at it from different directions. James says, without works, our faith is dead. And what does Paul say? If we are truly saved, then we will produce the fruit of repentance, the fruit of salvation. James uses works. Paul uses fruit. Just pick. What do you want, fruit or works? It's the same thing. But not only that, but in the book of Galatians and also in the book of Acts, it says that Paul and James, you know, extended the right hand of fellowship to one another. And if Paul was preaching something contradictory to what James was preaching, I don't think that they would have fellowship with one another. And so if you have a what if, but you seek the truth, if you seek to answer that question, even if that question is, we may never know on this side of eternity, all right? That's a lot different from just hanging in the what if. What if. And so we really need to carefully delineate between these three. We really do and because if 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 we don't deal with our doubts our what ifs if we don't deal with them if we don't seek answers for them it's going to lead to spiritual insecurity it's going to lead to spiritual anxiety it's going to lead to self doubt and it's going to lead to what i call god doubt it will, we will bring god into question and james teaches us this in james chapter 1 turn to james chapter 1 with me real quick and go to verse 5 james chapter 1 and verse 5 and james shows us What happens when we just stay in the what if, and we don't seek the Word of God for answers? If we don't investigate those doubts and those questions that we have. In verse 5, James writes, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. And if our doubts are just what if, and not what is God doing, what is he trying to teach me, what does his word say, if we keep sticking in that what if, we're going to be unstable, we're going to become double-minded, And we're never, ever going to receive the peace that we can have by searching God's Word and searching His face. And what happens if we don't tackle our doubts? You know what it's going to do? It's going to beget more doubts and more doubts and more doubts and more doubts and more doubts. Let me give you an illustration. I've heard people, you know, have doubts about their spouse's love for them. I don't think my husband really loves me, and rather than tackling that issue, having a conversation with the husband or having the wife, they they just they just they just stay in that what if they're just stuck in that what if. And then that doubt leads to another doubt. Well, I wonder if my husband is being unfaithful to me because I doubt if he loves me, so therefore he's being unfaithful to me. And then it goes to what if and what? Are you you with me this morning? Are you picking up what I'm throwing down this morning? And doubt leads to doubt, leads to doubt, leads to doubt. And by the time it's over with, man, your marriage is a mess. And if you don't take care of those doubts, it will lead to fear. It will lead to anxiety. It will lead to God doubt. But what we need to do as Christians... I'm going to give us one point um, this morning. We'll pick up the next week the next week. What we need to do is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10 in verse number 5. Listen to what he says. He says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that rises against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Can I read that again? Can I read that again? Second Corinthians 10.5, and we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And what we need to do with our doubts and what we need to do with our questions are two things. Are y'all ready? Two things, I'm done. Number one, if you have questions, pray and then go seek answers. It's pretty simple, isn't it? That's pretty simple. Studied it all night, just to tell you that. If you have doubts, if you have questions, you need to pray, and then you need to do the hard work of going and finding answers. Don't just stay in the what if. He said, I said Aaron, what do I pray? You pray for wisdom. What did James say? We just read it. What did he say? I mean, if, if we're in a trial, sometimes doubts and questions can be a trial. If we're in a trial and we lack wisdom, what does he say? He says, ask for it. Ask for it. Pray for it. Pray for that wisdom. Pray for that sermon. And the Lord will give it to you. Not only that, but we should also pray that the Father, through the Holy Spirit, will lead us into all the truth. Will lead us to the truth. I mean, in John 16, Jesus talks about the giving of the Holy Spirit. He's talking to his disciples. And he says that the Holy Spirit will lead you into the truth. And that just wasn't a promise for the disciples. It's for us today. The Holy Spirit would lead us and show us the truth in his word. We ought to pray that we'll accept the truth. We ought to pray that the truth will sanctify us whenever we find the truth in God's Word. And so, what do we do after we pray? We take our question to the Word of God. We take our question to the Word of God. Now, don't worry about that. You're not going to lose your salvation if you question some things about the Bible. You're not going to lose, God's not going to cancel you. I mean, because you have a doubt or you have a God. He's not going to do that, man. Take your question to the Word of God. I like what one theologian said. He said, we need to remember that the Word of God is like an anvil that has worn out many hammers. I love that. The Word of God is like a a solid iron anvil that has worn out many hammers. And as we seek the Word of God for answers and resolution to our questions and our doubts, we need to understand one thing, and I really want to press this hard. The Bible never tells us to turn off our intellect and our reason the bible never tells us just to leap out into the darkness no the bible never tells us that that the bible wants us to use our intellect the bible wants us to use our, our reason and you know one problem with the church today is we don't reason we don't intellectually engage the word of god but in isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18 right off the bat the lord says to isaiah come let us what reason together Says the Lord, come let us reason together, says the Lord. Seek and you shall find. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, we are to have a good reason for what we believed. In the book of Acts, Paul goes into the synagogues and he reasons um, with, with the Jews in the synagogues, and he went to Athens, to the Areopagus, and he reasoned and he preached to the philosopher in Athens. And so the Bible never, never tells us to turn off our intellect. In fact, God has given us the gift of reason, and God gives us the gift of faith, and they complement each other. And so pray, and go to the Word of God for answers. And let me just give you one other thing real quick before I end this morning. In my opinion, and I think I'm on good grounds here, there are really no new questions and no new critiques of the Word of God. I mean, I mean, really, it's the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. It may be repackaged, you know, year by year, decade by decade, but it's the same questions, it's the same critiques over and over and over again. And you know what? Those questions and those critiques have been answered over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and you keep going, and over again. They have been. The existence of God um creation versus evolution so forth and so on i mean they've all been answered and sometimes we may have to go to resources this is a book by richard balkin this is about the historicity of jesus christ um, and then, I mean, you have books like, you know, from John Feinberg about the problem of evil, faith and reason by Ronald Nash, apologetics to the glory of God by John Frame. Uh, this is a new book by Stephen Meyer about, you know, the three scientific discoveries that revealed the mind behind the universe. In other words, the universe had to have a designer. And then what are some other books here? Do y'all mind if I just read a couple of excerpts from these? I mean, but I mean, systematic theology about life's ultimate questions. And, and, and folks, listen, Christianity is not just a leap in the dark. Our faith and our belief is on a foundation, and that foundation is primarily the Word of God. And then you have other people that have elucidated that foundation, the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, just because you have a doubt doesn't mean that you're the only one that has ever had that doubt or that question. People have had them throughout the centuries and millennia, and they have been answered over and over and over again. Does that help you this morning? It helps me. It helped me, all right? So there are many resources. So pray and then get into the Word of God. You know, use resources, go seek counsel. I mean, go seek counsel with people been there and done that. There's a lot of smart intellectual people in our church. A lot of, you know, Bible scholars in our church go and seek their counsel. And and then number two, follow me on this. If you have a what if doubt, turn it into what is God doing? How is God doing this? What is God saying? Are y'all with me this morning? Are y'all receiving what I'm passing down the field? Y'all, y'all receiving this morning? Turn it. Because if you don't turn it, it will lead to discouragement. And so you've got to turn those questions. It's just like John the Baptist. In, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 2, John the Baptist is in prison. And, and a doubt comes into his mind. What if Jesus really isn't the Messiah? This is John the Baptist. Are y'all with me? This is JB, the notorious JB. I mean, he's having a doubt. And so does he just stay in his head? Oh, I wonder if Jesus is the Messiah. I'm going to get my head cut off. Oh, I'll never find out. No, what does he do? He turns the what if into an investigation, into a legitimate, sincere question. And he sends the disciples to Jesus and they basically asked Jesus, are you the one who was promised? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one who was coming? Um, or do we need to go look for someone else? You see, does this say that in the Word of God? Yes, it says it in the Word of God. Or do we need to go find someone else? And you know what Jesus does? He answers from the book of Isaiah. Yes, I am. I am the Messiah. And could you imagine if John the Baptist would not have turned that what if into a sincere Spiritual investigation. Mm. Mm-mm. And so as we seek answers, let's keep trusting. Let's keep holding on to the faith. As Hebrews 10 and verse 23 says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Can I read that again? Can I read that again? Listen to it with ears of faith this morning. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Remember what James said, for he who promised is what? He who promises what? He's faithful. He's faithful. And in time, God is going to relieve that burden. And he's going to give you peace. I don't know if you've ever heard of the monk by the name of uh, St. Anselm. Um, he was the Bishop of Canterbury in the 12th century. Um, I don't agree with everything he said. But there's one thing that St. Anselm said in Latin that, that I've really hung on to. Um, and, and, and he said this. As he, was, as he was making his way through Scripture and, and philosophy, he used the phrase in Latin, fides gardens intellectum fides gardens intellectum and that means faith seeking understanding i don't know all there is to know but i want to keep up my faith and i'm going to keep on understanding does that make sense I'm going to keep on understanding. I'm going to keep on trying to understand. I'm going to keep on keeping the faith. I'm going to keep trusting the Lord as I seek understanding. And what and how that we can interpret that today is, Lord, my starting point is going to be faith in your word and what your word says about you. And from there, I'm going to deepen my understanding and my knowledge. And if you don't, if you don't, you're going to be at the mercy of your emotions. You will. And you'll be tossed to and fro. And let me just say this before I end with just a personal note. Most of the people that walk away from the faith, we, we, we use that phrase, walk away from the faith, or they leave the faith. It's really not because they have solid intellectual reason to do it. It's for two reasons usually. Either their morality has changed and the Bible doesn't fit their morality and so they leave the Bible. Does that make sense? The creed doesn't fit the deed and so the creed's got to go. Or, it's morality, but it's emotions. Emotions. You know, the Bible doesn't make me feel warm and fuzzy. It doesn't make me feel good about this or about that, about, you know, human sexuality or whatever. And so I'm just going to leave because it doesn't fit my emotion. It doesn't feed my emotion. I'm just going to leave. But, but, but friends, the truth is the truth rather, you know, even if it doesn't make you feel good. And a lot of truth doesn't make you feel good. Can I get a witness? The truth is the truth, even if that truth does not fit your morality. I mean, it is the truth. And if we just keep, you know, languishing in the what-ifs, in the what-ifs, in the what-ifs, and we never seek the face of God, we never seek the Word of God, we never seek wise counsel, we will be left to our emotions. And we just read what James said about being tossed to and fro with our emotions. I just want to close, which is I don't think, I don't remember. Um, I, I'm having tr- My omniscience is wearing thin these days. Um, so I don't remember a lot. Uh, Jill can correct me. I don't think I've ever shared this, um, in any of my pastorates because you got to be, you got to be careful how you share things like this. Especially coming from a pastor, um, Have y'all got a minute? Are y'all going anywhere? <laughs> you got just a Bob, you got a minute. All right, anyway, can I buy a minute? All right. Uh, and this is going to be the most inarticulate thing I've ever said this morning, so just, just hang with me, all right. I can pinpoint it back to the summer between my junior. In my senior year in high school, where I started developing a lot of doubt about my faith. Not necessarily the faith, the Word of God, but my faith. My faith. And I didn't have, and I was scared to express my doubts and my questions because I was a pastor's son. And I didn't want my dad to look bad. Hey, y'all go easy on, on the pastor's kids, okay? Because if you don't, God will swallow you up into the earth, <laughs> never to return again. I know mean, well, I've warned you. Anyway, and I, I, w- I was frightened, I was fearful, um, and it was frustrating. It's very frustrating because I didn't know where to go to get the answers, and so I just languished in the what ifs. And all throughout my senior year, I remember one time I told uh, one of the deacon daughters at lunch that I, I just really didn't believe in God anymore. That was the dumbest thing I ever did in my life. You know why? It's because she went and told her deacon dad, and the deacon dad went and told my dad. That was not my finest moment, believe me. But I carried that in to my freshman year of college. And I really started drowning in the what-ifs. I mean, I did. And there were a couple of things that were precipitating it was I, I wanted my faith to be my own. I didn't want my faith to be my mom and dad's faith. Are, are you with me? I'm not talking about the faith. I'm talking about their faith in the faith. You know, I wanted my own faith And I wanted to develop that. And it frustrated me. And parents, you cannot make your children, or you should not try to make your children live your faith you just need to keep preaching the gospel. You need to keep being faithful in, in giving your, your children solid biblical advice and the word of God, and you need to let them go and ask God, God, protect my children. God, give my children their own trust and their own faith in you. Does that make sense? Because, listen, if your children grow up and they try to live your faith, that's not faith in Jesus, that's faith in you. Your children need faith in Christ, in Christ alone. And so I wanted my faith to be my own. And then in my own hypocrisy, I was looking at the hypocrisy of our youth group and I thought to myself, I don't want to be like them because they do one thing at church. They do another thing, you know, outside of church. But what the hypocritical thing about it was, was I was having doubts and I was in church and I was you know, acting the same way in my mind. And I blamed my doubts and questions on them. Brothers and sisters, you cannot blame your spiritual condition on other people. Now, the church ought to behave itself, right? And the leadership of the church ought to behave, but you can't. You can't say, well, I'm this way because my pastor, ding, 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 ding. You can't do that, man. And I was going through a tough time. And I started really reading some books that were not friendly to the Word of God. Books by David Hume, Albert Schweitzer, Anthony Flew, Friedrich Nietzsche. By the way, don't invite Friedrich Nietzsche to any of your dinner parties. He's a buzzkill man, he really is. I mean, and I was just drowning. And then it came to me one day. Are you looking for answers more than you are looking for contradictions? Are you putting as much energy in studying the Bible than you are reading all of these agnostics and atheists? And man, it's just almost like my mind was open, and no doubt it was the Holy Spirit. No doubt. And then I started reading books from you know my RA and my in my the dorm uh, room dorm floor in, at the college. And I started reading books, apologetics, and and I started reading Christian biographies. And man, if there's one thing that would just strengthen you just outside the Word of God is Christian biographies. I mean, read them, consume them, drink them in if you can. Uh, and I started listening to to music that was actually you know. Godly, and I started filling my mind with these things rather than searching for contradictions and, and looking at the hypocrisy of other people. And then I picked up a book by a guy by the name of Gary Habermas. Praise God for Gary Habermas. Professor at Liberty University. And it was a book on the resurrection. I remember I picked up that book and I read it. I mean, God just changed my life. And I read Three Gates of Splendor, the story about the, the martyred uh, missionaries to the Alka Indians in the 1950s. And man, God just uses biographies. He used those books of apologetics. Um, he used the, the, the books that, that help us to interpret the Word of God. I mean, and man, the Lord just greatly, greatly changed me. And, and I came to the conclusion, if He is risen, then there is a reason. If He Is risen, then there is a reason for this and for that. And once you get that resurrection nailed down, and you start thinking from there out, it strengthens your faith. It strengthens your faith. And what God did was He took a doubter, and He took a questioner, in a span of about two years, and he made him a confessor. Confessor. And today I stand and I admit I don't have all the answers. God does. I admit sometimes I I do have those what ifs and I have those questions. But I stand to you this morning and I confess that if he is risen. There is a reason. Amen? Amen. I pray that this morning this has helped. I pray that this morning that if you are in the what-ifs that you just won't... I mean, it's not just about the existence of God, creation versus evolution. It could be emotional things. It could be that someone has wounded you. Someone has walked away from you. I mean, whatever. Those what-ifs, I pray that you will not stay there but that you will seek the face of God. That you will pray for wisdom. That you will pray that the Holy Spirit will lead you into the truth. And that you will bow your knee to the truth. And that He will sanctify you by the truth. Because He will. He will. He did it to me. And He will. He will do it. Go to Him. Doesn't Jesus say, Come to me, all who have heavy burdens. I will give you peace. Doesn't it say in 1 Peter, cast your care on him because why? Because he cares for you this morning. He cares for you, but you don't understand the doubts. I don't understand them, but God knows. God knows. Go to him. Go to him. He loves you. He's not going to cancel you. He's not going to kick you out. He loves you. Child of God, did you hear me? He loves you. He loves you. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God's people said, All right, let's bow our head and close our eyes. Let's prepare our hearts for the invitation. This morning, if you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that today that you will confess Him and receive Him. Because only through Jesus can we have true purpose and meaning and hope and peace in this life. Only through Christ. We were made to have a relationship with God And only a relationship with God brings that peace and that hope and that joy and that purpose and meaning. But something happened. And that something is sin. Sin separated us from God the Father. It separated us from that life where we can know true joy, unconditional love, And something needed to be done about that separation, and we couldn't do anything about it. Um, We're not perfect. And and, and so God the Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to dwell among men, God in the flesh. And Jesus lived the life that I was supposed to live the life that I fell short of because of my sin, Jesus lived it perfectly for me. But not only that, something had to be done about my sin. A penalty had to be paid. The price for my sin had to be paid. Like I said, I couldn't do it. My morality is like filthy rags in the sight of God. And so I couldn't do it on my best day, my best behavior. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus not only lived the life that I was supposed to live, but Jesus died the death that I deserved. And He paid the debt that I could not pay. He paid the penalty of my sin. And Jesus did that for me. Why? So that I might be reconciled to God. So that I might come into a right relationship with God the Father and experience forgiveness, experience the hope of heaven, experience what true peace and joy and hope and meaning in life really means. And not only that, but man, He gives us the Holy Spirit to encourage us, even to convict us. He gives us the church as imperfect as she is. I praise God for the church. I praise God that we have each other. And so what do you need to do this morning? You need to realize that your sin has come between you and a holy God. And you need to realize what Jesus has done. And you need to confess that. You need to believe that. I don't know all there is to know about this, but I I believe that Jesus Christ died for me. I believe He rose again on the third day. And I confess and repent of my sin. And I trust in Jesus as my Lord. And if you confess your sin, and you confess Him as Lord, believing that He came and He died for you and He rose again, you will be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. And you will have a right, reconciled relationship with God the Father. I pray that you'll do that. I pray that you'll do it. Child of God, are you having those what ifs? You know you're saved. You're born again. No doubt about it. But you're just, you're just sitting and just languishing in the what ifs. I pray that today that you'll begin that process of bringing every thought captive to obedience to Jesus Christ. And I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God that you will change those what ifs into sincere spiritual questions where you go to God and you say, God, I know you're up to something. I know there's a reason for this. I know there's a reason why I'm going through this. I know there's a reason why your word says this. Lord, give me wisdom. Lead me into truth. Sanctify me. Change me by this truth. I pray that today that you'll start that process, bringing those thoughts and those questions and those doubts captive to obedience to Christ. This morning, if you would like to join Edwards Road Baptist Church and you believe that the Spirit is leading you into this congregation, you come during this invitation. We'll receive you. You come if the Holy Spirit's leading you. If you'd like to come and pray, you know, because uh, you know the, the op- we're opening back up now, listen, the altar is open. You come and pray. But let's do business with the Lord. Let's cast our care upon Him, for He cares for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Lord, bless this invitation. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Edwards Road Baptist Church. We hope you are meaningfully involved in a local church, but if you aren't, we would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings as we worship God and hear from His Word together. You can find more information about our church by visiting our website at edwardsroad.org.